The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. It's not Good Friday, I guess. Happy Friday, July the 2nd. July 4th weekend on the horizon. Three-day weekend for many of you, not for the podcast. Don't worry, we'll have a show on Monday the 5th. As per usual, we go five days a week, regardless of what else is going on in the universe. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Baspris. Thought I'd try to say my name a little bit different today. Different inflection. That's how we keep the shows fresh in our own brain. Pull that curtain back a little bit on broadcasting. We try not to say the same exact thing two days in a row. And it's really, it's one of the things that that kind of drew me to broadcasting to begin with, that I can create something completely unique any given day. That's why I got into play-by-play. Truly. I'm a bit narcissistic. I like the sound of my own voice. But also, I like the idea that my job would be different every single day. No two days are exactly the same in sports. Every day, you have a chance to see something you've never seen before. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of stuff that's similar, but never the same. Try to bring that to the podcasting side of the equation as well. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This is the end of week six. Is that what I said? I forgot. Let's see. May, two weeks, one, two weeks in May, first week of June, four, five, six. No, this is the end of the seventh week. Sheesh. This is show 35 of the offseason. Am I getting that right? Is that really true? 5, 10, 15 through June 4th. Yeah, I guess so. 20, 25, 30, 35. Hmm, probably should have done that before we came on air. So welcome to show 35 of the offseason. We are, believe it or not, not that far away from the halfway point of the offseason. I know we're not there yet. I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves and we're still talking about a solid July, August, September until we're coming back into this thing. But we're actually a month and a half into the fantasy offseason, which is about five months long. So by really by the end of this month, or slightly before that, because look, the fantasy offseason doesn't end when the first game happens. The fantasy offseason ends when we start doing draft prep. So we probably are at about the halfway point on that, which is pretty freaking cool because I haven't even come close to running out of things to talk about yet on this show or in life. People are generally tired of listening to me speak because I don't stop. And uh, the, the pandemic didn't help that for me. I was trapped in here with my kids screaming in the other room, talking to nobody. So then the first opportunity I have now to speak to other people in like 14 months on an actual face to face, I'm tough to stop. But not impossible. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball is hoop-ball.com, at hoopballfantasy or at hoopballtweets on Twitter. Want to give a shout out to our buddy Brad Harden, the host of the Hoopball Hawks podcast, which thanks to Atlanta's deep playoff run and his own hard work and great podcasting has really taken off 
over the last couple of months in particular. I know they had their biggest download month in the history of the pod in June. I'm sure they'll be looking to try to bust that record here in July. We just get the month underway. So really nice work from Brad and uh, all of his guests over at Hoopball Hawks. I just, um, I'm just really excited for those guys that, or really just for Brad, but Brad and anybody that he's working with on that stuff. This is, uh, this is a big deal. It's a big deal with as hard as they've worked. So congratulations. Please go check that out. It's great coverage of the ongoing Eastern Conference Finals, and it's just great Hawks coverage in general. So if you have an inclination to follow what's going on in the playoffs, that pod works for you right now. If you're a Hawks fan, that pod works for you. At Hoopball Hawks on Twitter is where you can find it, and then everything that uh, gets dropped through there, you'll get all your updates. Brad's Twitter handle is, is in there as well. It, uh, yeah, just, it's awesome. Love it. Want to give a shout out to at least one of our guys doing stuff on pretty much every pod these days. Today we wrap up the Pacific Division on our tour of the NBA. Actually, we're going to be... This always happens. Anybody that's followed this podcast in previous off-seasons knows that I often start these the tour of the league on a Monday, and I get through like five to ten teams before... Yeah, before the schedule gets shifted by something. And sometimes it's breaking news. Sometimes it's just, I felt like doing something else. This time, not today, on Monday, we're going to be talking to our own Adam King from here at Hoopball. Adam put out the way too early top 100 for next season. Tons of question marks, of course. But that's going to be a really fun discussion that we'll be having on the Monday edition of this podcast. And then we'll hop into probably the uh, Northwest division that uh, will be off by one day of the week. So whatever, it doesn't really matter. It just It's easier to remember when I did something when we're doing a division a week, but whatever. I'd rather have a good show on Monday than not do that show just to have this the five shows fall on the five days. But we'll worry about that when we get there. Again, that is the way too early top 100 for next year. Premium subscribers to the Fantasy Pass here at Hoopball have access to that full list. Adam and I will be breaking down some of the highlights of it. And then, certainly, if you want to get the other stuff, you should get back on the Fantasy Pass for a couple of reasons. One, in particular, I will tell you on Monday's show that uh, this show is not about that. Uh, Wanted to let you guys know that our buddies over at Manscaped.com, we are going to take a short break from our partnership with them. So the Hoopball 20 promo code will probably go dormant for July and August during our fantasy offseason here and then we'll be telling you guys all about their cool stuff coming back in September so if you're thinking about getting at something at Manscaped wait until September when our promo code is functional once again my bookie however we are with them year round because we have gambling on all sports I don't like the term gambling anymore for sports wagering we're sharps around here man isn't that we're gambling, yeah, nothing's a sure thing, but when you win more than you lose, it's uh it's just a math it's just math. Today we're talking about the Sacramento Kings, although I do want to very briefly mention the ball game from yesterday, but we're we're in so deep now that they, you know that these games that are happening once every whenever. There's another ball game tomorrow on Saturday. That one's in Atlanta, Hawks favored by two and a half. Trey Young, a game-time decision. Giannis probably out for that ballgame 
If they needed a Game 7, that would be Monday. The finals start, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday of next week. So there, there isn't a whole lot of, to talk about on the basketball side anymore. But quickly here, a recap. Milwaukee beat Atlanta 123-112 with no Trey and no Giannis, which surprised me, by the way, because if you listen to yesterday's podcast, I thought Trey Young was going to play in that ballgame. But perhaps he knew, like we did, that... Milwaukee was going to come out guns blazing. No, it's okay. So this isn't really a fair assessment of things. Let's go back. We're going to replay the start of this discussion. I think I really felt like Trey Young needed to be in that ball game yesterday for the reasons we outlined on yesterday's podcast, which was Milwaukee's going to come out laser focused on their execution. They're not going to have Giannis to get it and go. Everyone else is going to have to do a bunch more rebounding because it's, it totally changes the way they run their offense. And then my thought was, with Giannis out, the pace would slow. Well, it didn't really go that way because Milwaukee got off to a, a hot start and then Atlanta was forced to kind of play with them. That was the way our total went down the toilet. Our side lean was right on the money. I told you I liked Milwaukee. In that ballgame, I said I would have liked them more if Trey Young was in because the line would have come down. But I figured you were looking at sort of an injured star theory thing again, where Atlanta played over their heads the previous ballgame with no Trey. They were due for a regression game, the second one without Trey Young, when Milwaukee had a chance to adjust to their offense. And then the Bucks on the other side were going to get an Atlanta team that didn't really know how to defend Milwaukee without Giannis. Did we expect 33 from Brooke Lopez? We did not. Did we expect 20-something out of Middleton and Drew Holiday? We certainly did. I thought maybe you might even get more out of Middleton in particular. But 26 on 20 shots, you'll take it. And then Bobby Portis had a big ball game. He also took 20 shots. It was really, shots were concentrated in a pretty big way uh, on those four guys. So the lean to Milwaukee was a good one. The lean to the under was not a good one. That was a big whiff. My thought was certainly that if... Milwaukee was going to be running a lot of Middleton isolation off of pick and roll, where if they can get a switch, then he starts to take his guys. What they did last year in the playoffs when Giannis was out. Well, once Milwaukee started scoring, the Hawks were forced to play faster to try to catch up, and that played right into a Milwaukee. what Milwaukee would have done if it's sort of if it was a regular season game. So this one kind of turned into a regular season game. It was weird. Atlanta's advantage with no Giannis was a slow ball game. Once Milwaukee got the lead, they couldn't afford to play super slow because they needed buckets. So then it was bombs away. And bombs away is Milwaukee's tempo, so they just opened up their 10-15 point lead and kind of held on to it the whole way through. Looking at the next ball game, we really don't know who's going to play. It's tomorrow night. So to do a podcast on Friday where we handicap a Saturday game, possibly missing two superstars, is sort of a fool's errand. But Atlanta's favored by two and a half, which makes you think that we that we know Giannis is out. What we don't know is whether Trey Young is in or out. It sounds like he's a game time call. My guess is he plays, but I thought he was going to play yesterday. Also, I just you know th- this is an elimination game. For at the Hawks are in jeopardy of being sent home. I cannot imagine. Trey Young sits out an elimination game. How good he looks or how much he plays, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's playing. 
The line right now, I believe, based on the fact that the game yesterday ended at Milwaukee by four and a half with no Trey and no Giannis, shifting by about seven and a half points or seven points the other way, that's a pretty traditional home-to-home shift in a playoffs, about seven points. So I think that's built on both guys being out, which makes me think, and maybe it's a little bit in between. If Giannis gets ruled, sorry, not Giannis, we're pretty sure he's out. If Trey gets ruled in, that line probably jumps up to Atlanta by three and a half or four. If Trey gets ruled out, you might actually see that line get bet down to about one and a half or two. But I don't think it's going to move a ton off of where it is. Maybe like a point, point and a half in either direction as odds makers sort of split the difference with a superstar as a game time call. Total of 216 and a half. Oddly, only up about two points from the last ball game which finished at 2.13 after the Trey Young is out news, and it's basically where it was when they thought Trey Young might be playing. So they're kind of splitting the difference on this one also. If Trey's in, that total probably moves up to 2.17, 2.18. If he's out, it might drop back down to 2.14, something of that nature. And whether or not it hits comes down, I think, to whether how the game starts. If Atlanta can... S- can lock in on defense and force Milwaukee into a lot of isolation type plays, you'd see a very low scoring game. Like I I think the total either is going to be blasting over or way under. I don't think it's right, which is probably what yesterday's taught us, which is that they're again, kind of splitting the difference. They're saying, look, this is the midpoint based on how the ball game starts. But I bet you could make a call on the total pretty quickly. Look at how the game begins. Does Milwaukee get off to a good shooting start? If they don't, and Atlanta is playing their tempo, which would be, I think, a bit more half-court-y, try to force Milwaukee into a weirder ball game, the game probably just ends up kind of going that way. You know, Nate McMillan was preaching defense, defense, defense. All of his post-game stuff was defense. So I do have a lean to the under in that game tomorrow. But again, Trey Young's status is going to be play a, a relatively large role. But let's talk about the Sacramento Kings. That that I, I've been, which is weird to say, I've been kind of looking forward to talking about the Kings all week long because they are, in my estimation, the most interesting fantasy team in the Pacific Division because they're a fantasy team where things are in a big state of flux. First, they actually have salary cap space. Like they're, they're going to be under it, not by a ton, but they'll be under it a little bit. They have Rashawn Holmes coming off the books after his amazing $10 million two-year deal, which what an absolute steal that was. He's going to go get a bunch more than that somewhere else. I doubt, well, maybe the Kings re-sign him. I think they have some kind of rights on him. Buddy Heald is on the trade block. Harrison Barnes is on the trade block. DeLon Wright is still there. Marvin Bagley's on the trade block. The only guy who isn't is De'Aaron Fox. He's signed through the next 100 years. That's Six-year deal? No, five-year extension he signed this year. And then Tyrese Halliburton, I don't think he's going anywhere either. So Holmes off the books, Harkless off the books, Hassan Whiteside off the books, Terrence Davis is off the books. They've got some other young guys that they could not, they, they don't have to guarantee like Damian Jones. Uh, Maytu is on that list. Justin James is on that list. So, uh, but those guys are not big-time factors on this team when healthy. I'm going to operate under the assumption that the folks on contract with the Kings are there on opening night, meaning Buddy Heald is still there, Barnes is still there, DeLon is still there, Bagley, Fox, and Halliburton. Those are the guys 
And really, those are the guys, minus Rashawn Holmes, or plus Rashawn Holmes, that played minutes for the Kings down the stretch this year. Whiteside never really got into the equation. The center position was Holmes and then Bagley, who'd slide up and play backup five slash sometimes starting power forward. And Holmes is gone. Where does he go? Someplace that is going to give him a better contract. I, I'm, I'm just, I would, I'd be fairly floored if it's Sacramento. Although, you know, they, they did finally sort of give him his shot. So maybe there's a soft spot there and they'd be wise to try to bring him back. I just, I don't know if they can possibly afford him without moving something. Buddy Heald, let's just, let's just work our way down the board here. Uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, we'll just go by rank, I guess. Seems the simplest way to do it. I had high hopes for Sacramento this season. I had high hopes for Sacramento because Alvin Gentry came in. It looked like they were going to get their pace back up. I had all the hope in the world that that was going to be the, the thing for Sacramento. But they never defended anyone. Luke Walden is a, a fairly miserable head coach. And apparently he's still going to be around there. But right now, the best fantasy player on the Kings this last year was Rashawn Holmes, and it wasn't really close. He was number 31 on a per-game basis. Yeah, he did miss 11 ball games this year, so uh, that brought the totals numbers in a bit tighter with a guy like a Buddy Heald. But Holmes was the guy. He crushed everybody. He crushed his ADP. And, I, I mean, outside of hoop ball leagues... He may get underdrafted again next year. But he's a guy you obviously want to pay attention to where he ends up. Free agent, we can't assume he's back in Sacramento, so let's reserve judgment on where someone might be willing to draft Rashawn Holmes. But this is what he does. Both percentages, he shot 80% at the free throw line this year, 1.6 blocks, 14 points, 8 boards in 29 minutes a game. He was wonderful. It was a great season. Top 35 per game, pretty easy all the way through. If he plays starters minutes, he's a top 40 fantasy player basically anywhere. Tyrese Halliburton, interestingly, was the second highest ranked player on the Kings on a per-game basis. He was number 64 on average of 13 points, 3 boards, 5.3 assists, 1.3 steals, half a block, 47% from the field, and 86% low volume at the free throw line. We have to assume a guy like Halliburton does make some sort of step forward. Although it's worth pointing out that his poise, his percentages, by the way, he is actually already 21 years old. So he's not the world's youngest player in the NBA, and he'll turn 22 at some point during the next NBA season. But poise is usually a thing you look at with a rookie and say, well, that'll get a lot better next year just because. Well, his poise was actually quite good. Shot the ball very well from the field, from three, from the line. So percentages probably not going up all that much. You would hope that usage might go up a little bit, but I don't think you can rely on percentages to make that leap the way that you often can on players from their rookie to their sophomore year. My goal, if you're looking at Halliburton, first of all, we have to figure out where he's going to get drafted, but I think you have to assume that he takes more than 10.5 shots a game next year. The steals rate, the block rate, the percentages, let's assume those stay about the same and, in, and factor 
for slightly increased usage. Again, he was number 64 on a per-game basis this year. And I'd be more than willing to draft him probably about a half a round earlier than that under the assumption, again, that it's not getting worse. It's not getting worse. Not like somebody's coming for his playing time and minutes. He is the future out there, or part of it at least. They love him, and he gave them every reason to do so this season. I just, I don't think it's going to be like the Trey Young thing where he was just horrible for like his first four months in the NBA and then things started to click because Halliburton is never going to be the number one as long as De'Aaron Fox is around. He's never going to have to be the guy who carries the team. So he didn't have that pressure. He didn't have that usage pressure last year. And I don't think that that's something that's going to surface this season. So Halliburton, I think you could just put a sideways arrow for the most part. Call him close to the same with the hope that maybe he can get about, I don't know, another shot, shot and a half per ball game. And that's good. That's a good thing for him because he's helpful in the percentages categories. That's great. Getting to the free throw line more would, would be terrific. Only one attempt per ball game on a good foul shooting number. Would like to see a bit more of that. De'Aaron Fox was number 69 on a per-game basis, although he had his season split a bit, um, got off to a pretty slow start, and then finished crazy strong. Last 10, 15 ball games, he was a top 25 fantasy player for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was taking almost 22 shots a game over that stretch. Averaged 29 points, five boards, almost eight assists, two steals, on 47% from the field and 78% at the free throw line. And that's something that we have to keep an eye on because we've all been suckered a bit before by great free throw shooting spurts. But here's the thing. Darren Fox has been in the NBA for four years now. And at the free throw line, he's shot 72, 73, 71, 72%. So the fact that over the last month, he shot close to 80%, I don't think we can buy into that being the reality or that his steals went up from one and a half to two because by all accounts, this season should have kind of been his apex in his young career, and it wasn't. I mean, I guess it was, but it also kind of wasn't. He scored 25 points per game we should have been super excited about that. I guess we were 1.8 threes per game while keeping his field goal percent at 48. Assists went up from back into the low sevens, which is what they were during his second season in the NBA when the Kings were a running team. Remember that? He's always been around one and a half steals per game in about 32 minutes a game. He went up to 35 this year, but it stayed at one and a half steals. This was, I think, about as good as it's going to get. And that blitz he went on at the end of the year, taking 22 shots a night and just going completely hog wild, I don't know that that's sustainable for an entire season. He will play himself into an early grave at that kind of usage rate, especially at the pace they want to be going. No one during that stretch of games, that last like month and a half before Fox... Uh, it was COVID protocol, I think, right? Wasn't that the stuff at the end? No one on the whole team besides Fox averaged more than 13 and a half shots a game over that span. That's pretty wild. So he pretty much just took his teammates out of the equation because Barnes was missing time in there. 
uh, Halliburton missed time in there. Holmes, Bagley, all those guys were out. And those are the other guys that generally are taking shots, besides Buddy Heald, who was just sort of quietly played every single ball game this year, basically, and did and kind of disappointed on his way there. So I feel pretty comfortable saying that De'Aaron Fox is once again going to get dramatically overdrafted because he's a point guard who scores a lot and assists a lot. But there remain those same gaping issues. He's a very high-volume free-throw shooter and not a good one. Low 70s, 7 attempts per game. That has to get better if he ever wants to jump into that top 50 equation Long term, it doesn't have to be a massive positive. It just has to not be a huge negative, which is what it was that last month, month and a half of the season. He turned it into basically a net neutral category, and that jumped him from top 70 to top 25. That's what a huge deal it is to not be a free throw anchor weight to not be a complete disaster. Yeah, and obviously his usage was up over that span, but most of that change was the free throw line. Because his scoring was only like three points higher than it was during the rest of the regular season. If he could fix his free throw stroke and nothing else changed, he'd go from top 70 to about top 30. That's it. That's all it would take. But will he? I doubt it. Because four years, it's been exactly the same every season. Go figure. Next name on the Kings list... In the uh, in the rank fest, whoops! I missed my lost my tab there for a second. Was believe it or not, it was actually Delon Wright. Although most of that damage was done in Detroit. Um, provided that Halliburton, Heald, and Fox are all still there and healthy, I don't think I can advise drafting Delon Wright because he only went nuts when two of those guys were out. He didn't even get it done when one of those guys was out. He needed two of them out of the way, and Luke Walton still being there kind of tells me that that's probably not going to change very much. He's looking at probably about 23 minutes a ball game as a backup to a backup, kind of. Mostly to be in there to stabilize a second unit and play good defense. That's not enough for fantasy value, and that's unfortunate because we love DeLon Wright. As a starter, he's an easy top 70 kind of guy, generally a bit better than that, but that's not going to be his role. So that's a limited upside kind of play and the type of stuff we're probably going to be dodging next year in the later round draft picks. You want the big upside guys. Buddy Heald was number 81 on a per-game basis, but I would stop all of us in our tracks here to point out that Heald has the 10th category. Buddy is hyper-durable. He is the epitome of, I think he's missed a grand total of three games in his last four seasons in the NBA, and I think... You guys can't quote me on this. I believe he's missed fewer than five games in his entire NBA career, which started in 2016. He's been in the NBA for five seasons, guys, and I think he's missed five games. Yes, I know everybody's healthy until they're not. Everybody's injury prone until they're not. All that stuff is very true, and things can change. But you can't operate as though Buddy Heald and Danilo Gallinari have the same probability of making it through a season unscathed. Yes, there is a chance that they both do, and there's a chance they both don't. But we operate on probability, and the probability is that Heald 
will be healthy more than other players in the NBA. Almost anyone else, frankly, in the NBA. He is one of the most durable players in the entire association. And as poorly as he shot the ball this year, his minutes never really fluctuated. And boy, did he shoot the ball poorly. 40.5% this year. Buddy Heald strikes me as someone who has a boatload of upside taking... I mean, he hit four three-pointers a game this last season. It's a shame that he was uh, a drag like that on field goal percent. But otherwise, a steal, four and a half rebounds, almost four assists, 17 points per game. He was very much a poor, poor, poor man's C.J. McCollum type of basketball player this year. Like, their lines were not that dissimilar. McCollum just a few more shots per game. The other stuff is pretty close. A little bit better percent from the field, healed a little better at the free throw line. But he has that prototypical shooting guard fantasy line, which for the most part is actually kind of a hard one to turn into a reliable fantasy play because as a shooting guard, your upside is a little bit limited by how many shots you're taking. I know it's right there in the name. But Buddy Healed, he is durable. And so when you handicap him, even though he was top 80 on a per-game basis, he was 49 by totals. That's a big leap. That's the first pick of the fifth round by totals. A little bit of that DeAndre Ayton effect. And I know that in Roto Leagues... The guys, you'd rather have someone who's three rounds better per game who misses five or six days because you can fill those games in with some hot pickup who's hopefully giving you like top 90 for a week or two than healed who's just 80 rank all season long. I just don't see how he gets much worse with this current iteration because it's not like Tyrese Halliburton had a ton more minutes he could take on the floor. And I don't think DeLon Wright is going to take those minutes because Heald, for better or worse, is kind of the King's only other floor spacer besides Halliburton. And then Barnes is okay, and Fox can shoot the three a little bit. But Heald is the three-point shooter, and Halliburton is kind of the other one. So those guys are going to play unless he's traded which is still a possibility, but again, we're operating these breakdowns on the assumption that the guys that were there are there. So I like Buddy Heald this coming year. I think there's, this is a guy who got drafted, who probably overperformed his his average draft position, which now I'm flailing to try to find here. What the hell was Buddy Heald's draft position at the start of this year? I've, I've totally lost it. He, uh, his preseason rank was 56, so those that drafted him and saw that 80 rank all season long were probably a little bit irritated, but by totals, he actually beat his mark. Actually, some sites have him by totals ranked as high as 40, so I guess to some degree it depends on where you're looking. You know, that might be because of uh, yeah, some playoff numbers might be getting factored in among other guys that were either ahead or behind him, even though they didn't go to the playoffs. So Buddy Heald, if you're getting him, and I bet even though by totals he was number 40 to 49, somewhere in that range this year, and beat his marker, because he was top 80 per game, I bet he gets drafted later next year. And his preseason rank of 50-something, maybe that slips into the 60s. And I'd be all over that in the 60s, because he could just replicate what he did this year, And that gives you a big win with your sixth, call it, 
hopefully, round pick? Absolutely. Absolutely. Take a look. Here's a good game to play. Take a look at some of the guys that were drafted in the sixth round of your league and tell me, would you rather have Buddy Heald over those guys this most recent season? Actually, Buddy got drafted 60th in the league I'm looking at right now. So he did go in front of these dudes. Uh, so maybe even move him like back another 12 slots. Say he drops a round. Maybe his preseason, he goes near 70 instead of 60. Maybe we're not doing even enough to bump him down the board. Look at the round seven guys in your league. Here's a seventh round in, in one of my drafts. This is a pretty good league. Horford, Fultz, Brandon Clark, Oladipo, Bledsoe, Sexton, Markinen, White, Green, Draymond Green, Derek White. Sorry, Kobe White was the first. Derek White's the second. Aaron Gordon, Kevin Love. I believe Buddy Heald finished better than all of those guys. Maybe Draymond would have been close. Yeah, Draymond might have beaten him. So, like, basically the best or second best pick of that round? You could even go around sooner. He beat a lot of the guys taken near the middle end around six. So, hell yeah. I think it's replicatable, and I'm hoping that maybe he even shoots one and a half to two percent better next year. Get him back up to 42 instead of 40 and a half. And then you're really cooking with gas. And finally, Harrison Barnes, who we know has been on the trade block for quite some time, uh, actually had a, a really good season. Um, he missed some games down the stretch, and that hurt his totals numbers. He was number 100, actually, by totals. But by averages, he was number 83. And I'm inclined to not believe that this is something he can do again. He shot 50% from the field, 80 at the free throw line. And we're always looking for reasons to fade things that seem difficult to do a second time. And for Barnes, it's a career 45% shooter. He hasn't had a season over 46%. Since 2016, he did it with the Warriors a couple of times, but look at the guys that were around him there. This was, by all accounts, his most efficient basketball season pretty much of his career. Do I believe he can do that again? I don't. I don't. I think he falls off a little bit. We'll see where he gets drafted, but I would expect Barnes to take a step back this coming season. And that's basically where I stand on the Sacramento Kings. They're, they're a team to watch. Holmes, watch where he goes. Halliburton, very tiny arrow up. Uh, Fox, I would say basically arrow sideways, but he's probably not someone we end up drafting. Healed, I think arrow slightly up, actually. Or perhaps you just call him a little bit of an old man squad kind of guy. Oh, and I didn't even mention Marvin Bagley because I don't care. He was number 241 on a per-game basis. Can't shoot free throws like that and get into my good graces. No, you cannot. Folks, have a wonderful weekend. Back with you on Monday. We'll talk way too early. Rankings from our buddy Adam King. That's going to be great. I am Dan Vespers. Enjoy the basketball. We will talk to you after a couple of days. So long, everybody.